1: helping to diversify the industry. This week on Business of the Beat.
2: I've always kind of felt like I'm just going to do it. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? I'm just going to do it. And so I pass that message on to entrepreneurs I come in contact with. I mean, the worst that someone can say is no, right? Yes. And then with a little bit of charm work, you might be able to get a yes. (laughs) It's like, yeah. And so if you kind of put yourself out there and just be vocal and be an advocate for yourself and your greatness other people will believe you.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Kendra Bracken Ferguson, and welcome to Business of the Beat. Today's guest is Leslie Roberson, founder and CEO of the Black Beauty Collective. But before we get started, don't forget to follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode, and we love to hear from you. All right, everyone. Leslie Roberson is the founder and CEO of the Black Beauty Collective, a collective of beauty entrepreneurs and retailers featuring exclusive Black-owned brands. Membership into the collective offers entrepreneurs marketing, social media, and PR support in addition to access to a community of Black and mostly women entrepreneurs who support each other in their growth and entrepreneurial journey. By creating a community where support and care come. First, the Black Beauty Collective is executing its mission to help entrepreneurs take their businesses to the next level, break down barriers for aspiring beauty entrepreneurs, and economically empower communities. Leslie is a serial entrepreneur, model, veteran, corporate leader, and mom. Throughout her career, she has championed pushing the collective forward through entrepreneurship and economic empowerment. With her backgrounds in business leadership and as a beauty industry expert, Leslie carries this expertise into her work with entrepreneurs that make up The Collective.
2: Leslie, Leslie,
1: Leslie, ah, welcome to <laughs> Business of the Beat.
2: I am delighted to be here and thank you for having me.
1: Oh my gosh, Leslie. Like, it just makes me so happy to see you. I was literally doing the intro for the show and reading your bio. And I was like, oh my God, you're like my sister, Pranista. You're my kindred soul. I'm obsessed with you. I love it. I love all of that. Yes, to all of it. So, we have been talking about having this conversation. We are here. We are doing it. And it is a testament to all of the great work that we're doing to support entrepreneurs, yes. founders, or moms. There's so much happening. So, yes. just kind of take us back. Like, tell us who you are,
2: how we got here today. Who is Leslie? Oh my gosh, is that a question? So <laughs> you really want to know how I got here? Oh, my Girl, I need God. To, to know, I need to Maybe know. Maybe I took the long route.
0: <laughs> I took the
2: really long route here. I have been, I've been fortunate enough to just do some amazing things in my life. So I, I've actually, I'm a veteran, so I'm an army vet. And I don't know if you know that, Kendra, I am an army vet. Wow. I went, my so my background is HR management, so undergrad, MBA, org leadership. And I have worked most of my career in corporate uh, doing talent acquisition and diversifying teams. Super passionate about it. That is my jam, just diversifying teams mm-hmm. and finding the untapped talent to just bring a fresh perspective into corporate. And I, so that's the first vertical, talent okay. acquisition. <laughs> the second vertical, um, I have had a modeling contract probably... 12, 13 years now. And I do catalog modeling. So anyone who has a catalog, so your Coles, your Sears back in the day, your Bontine, JCP, Myers, pretty much anybody I've done. We saw you. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Quietly like posing right, in a catalog. I love this. And so I've done that. I've done that for years. And then the third vertical, I've been an entrepreneur. And so I've owned a couple businesses. My most recent business was the Velvet Collection, which we don't talk about enough, Kendra, but I actually sold the company and to another Black woman that wanted to get into, become an entrepreneur. And so we don't Ooh. talk about acquisition and selling a business often enough, but it's definitely happening out there between Black women instead of building something from ground up, but actually acquiring a business. And so I've done that. And then Black Beauty Collective is my most recent venture and to add sauce, right? I am a mom. I have a sixteen year old and a twelve year old.
1: (laughs) Oh, I love that. To add sauce. We're like, let's add sauce. To add a little
2: sauce to this, we already got flavor, just to add a little bit to it. (laughs)
1: A little bit more. Leslie, I love this and I love how you broke it down. And we are going to talk about acquisition because you're right. We don't talk about it enough. And everyone is out here talking about equity and Jay-Z, all these people, but like, what does acquisition mean? And I do also want to touch on the other two things that you mentioned, because as you're talking about being a model, doing catalog Mm -hmm. work, It's so fascinating that you were that you're also a veteran and that you were in the army and then you were doing diversity because you were doing diversity training and diversifying teams before we got to this whole movement of where every company decided to invest in chief diversity officers. So absolutely. I do want to take it back to being a vet as number one. Did you do are there other veterans in
2: your family? Like how did you decide to go into the military? You know, that we don't have any well, we have sprinklings of other veterans in the family, but I what didn't come from a direct lineage of veterans. I was actually a poor college kid. I'm first-generational college student in my family. And so, I was struggling through college and I'm like, I have to find some level of stability. And I look like this, right? And I ran into a recruiter and she goes, "Well, you know there's people that look like you in the military." And I'm like, what are people that look like you? Literally, I'm like... Black, black. Pretty These girls can women. join the military. And that's too. exactly what she was saying. She was a Black woman and she's like, you know there's other gorgeous Black women in the military. You can come in. And I was like, well, okay, I'm coming. <laughs> Seriously, though, I ended up in working in a security clearance office Not because it was my job. My job is actually working with a missile controller. So, like, it was like a four canister missile launcher, is what I was trained to do. But I literally got to my regular duty station, and this is how I ended up in HR. So, I got to my regular duty station, prepared to go and work on this launcher. And the person who was responsible for telling us where we would go, he goes, Oh, you look like a girl. We're going to put you in the office. And so that's how I ended up in the security clearance office, not because I had been trained on it, but because he thought that I should go in there because I look like a girl.
0: And oh so I gosh.
2: decided then I was like in my early 20s, I decided I was going to go into human resources because I thought that I could make a difference because there are so many of us that look like girls. Right. That we're powerhouses and we're brilliant and we're smart and we can make a difference and we shouldn't be pinned because we look like girls. Right. Oh my <laughs> so gosh. I that's, love them yeah, that's how I went into HR. So I did that. And I mean, I've been trying to lapping along. So yeah, I've been doing HR diversity work for a really long time.
1: Well, it's so interesting. I was um, speaking to a group of college students with the Fashion um, Scholarship Collective. And one of the things that we talked about was that you may never know what people are going to change your lives for the good and the bad. And so it's so fascinating that that one person, that statement, their interpretation of you, just from an outward appearance of being a girl Literally had so much impact on going into a career
2: to support other people and to not pigeonhole us because of how we look. Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. So that was like my early on start. And ironically enough, during that time, my stint in the military, one of the most impactful things that I was able to do as a girl is Every so often, we would have to go back to our regular jobs to train, and we would be measured as a battalion on our ability to execute on what our jobs were. And I actually saved, uh, because there was some knowledge that no one else had about this machine, and it's like there was a manual way to turn a machine, but they would do it with, in theory, they would do it on computers, but I knew how to do it manually, And I was the only person that was trained up on this, and I actually saved us from failing our entire battalion inspection because, as a girl, I knew how to (laughs) fix this machine. (laughs) And so (laughs) it was super ironic that I was like great in the security clearance. I developed processes and streamlined and helped all sorts of people, but I was also able to do that too. And so that was like my early on, like being indoctrinated into a space where. I'm a badass, and I can do oh. a lot of things. You know what I mean? Like yes. that was my 21 year old self, right?
1: I love that. I'm a badass. Just, just let me tell you that oh. I am.
2: And the I'm smart, and I can love- do things. Oh, okay, go ahead. I'm and listening. I, no,
1: I love that you did it at such an early age. Yeah. You know, it takes people years and lifetimes to be able yeah. to say I'm a badass and I did these yeah. things. And so, I love that confidence. And then. Going from the military into being a model, like what was that transition? Did you always want to be a model or were you just pretty?
2: (laughs) So here's the thing. I had no idea because of the way I grew up that I was as pretty as I was. (laughs) Like people would be like, oh my God. But I would be like, "Eh, maybe one day. So I was actually a little bit older. I wasn't like a teenager when I became a model. I was in my maybe mid to late 20s. When I walked into, I just walked into an agency one random day, I finished grad school and I was like, so I'm stopping in to see if I had, there's an opportunity for me to sign up here. And they were like, "Uh, we have casting calls in a very, whatever you think about a modeling agency and a person who works the desk in that kind of way, super fashion, just real eclectic. Like we have dates you need to come in during our casting calls, which are on Thursdays. And I was like, well, do you think some you can call up and just see if somebody's willing to come down? And she kind of was like, yeah. Like Okay. She's about? like no one's ever asked me. So like of I guess I can, you know. And she did and one of the agents came down and it was like all history. They gave me a contract on the spot. Like wow. That's literally how I got. People are like, how did you become a model? I was in a neighborhood I, this was after the housing crisis and I had finished grad school during the 08 housing crisis and I decided to go old school and drop resumes off at corporations right I'm going to d- write print resumes and go drop them off no one was doing this and I was out in like button up shirt and dress pants and my cell phone was cut off and I went to this agency and asked that question literally bun in the back and everything and they're like sure because I didn't look like a dress dress fast yes. forward like a model and the agent I left after because they didn't give me like any direction because who comes down on a random model is in the building like not, so they didn't, not right not. they didn't give me any direction I left and by the time I got home I had like four missed voicemails like Where did you go? Where are you? We don't have your contact. Like, what are you? What are you doing? And they're like, we want to give you a contract. And so my sweet agent Steven, he's fabulous. And we are still together ever since. Oh my gosh. And you're still
1: still together. We're still
2: together. (laughs) Yes. And so I go to the agency and I was like soup. And what's interesting, as Steven always tells a story, I was military because you know I was. Very like buttoned up and good afternoon, ma'am. And no, ma'am. No, sir. And yes, sir. I was very military. And he was like, you've always been fabulous and so professional. But boy, I didn't know what to do with you because you were so (laughs) like.
1: He was like, boom, boom, boom. Yes. like And so poses.
2: Yes. He's like, breathe a little bit. Like, (laughs) so (laughs) it took a while to like really transition out of that, like that military, like professionalism. But when I did, it was like took off. I was everywhere. And so yeah, it was it's oh been an amazing journey gosh. with it.
1: That is I first of all, I just love you. The the tenacity, but this goes back to the fact of you saying, I'm a badass and yeah. having that confidence early on because yeah. you wouldn't have even felt empowered enough yeah. to walk through the door and then to say, Okay, okay, it's not Thursday. That's fine. I'm here now. Let's
2: get someone, let's, let's see make this what happen. We do. <laughs> And you know what, that right there, which is really interesting because I didn't, at the time, I didn't have the vocabulary or the words to talk about it. But what was really happening is I've always kind of felt like I'm just going to do it. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? I'm just going to do it. And so I passed that message on to entrepreneurs I come in contact with. I mean, the worst that someone can say is no, right?
1: Yes.
2: And then with a little bit of charm work, you might be able to get a yes. It's like, yeah. And if, so if you kind of put yourself out there and, and just be vocal and be an advocate for yourself and your greatness, other people will believe you. Even when you're unsure, if you show up that way, people will believe it. So yes. They
1: actually will. I mean, there is something to like perception as reality. Yeah. And I know there's a stigma with like fake it till you make it, but it's it yeah. comes down to like, are you advocating for yourself Do you believe in what you were saying, whether it's going to, you know, whether it's all there. And that's, I mean, that's the beauty of being an entrepreneur. Like we have to believe so boldly in every idea that we have with conviction, because without that, then like nothing actually comes to fruition. Like if you had not been as bold, you could have said, okay, I'll come back on Thursday. Yeah. But that one extra thing of, but do you think we can meet now?
2: Yeah. Literally had such an impact. Absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent agree. And there, there is a bit of a stigma behind that "faking it until you make it. And it might be using the term faking it, but having a belief in this is, this is where I am. And this is where I would like to see myself go is an entire, is a goal, right? Setting a goal for yourself and how you want to show up in spaces and living it day to day until you, you actually are that. So maybe yes. not faking it, but putting a measure in space, like this is what I would like to be. I want to show up boldly. I want to show up confidently or whatever that means to you as an individual, stepping into that space and going today, I didn't hit my mark, but tomorrow at this networking event, my goal is to meet 15 people and get in there and meet 20. Yes. I love that. Your business is not
1: someone else's business, right? right. You may be on the same shelf in a retail door, but that does not mean that you are the same business. Come on. that's where I always like to say, like, we have to believe so deeply and we have to set up and perceive who we want to be. Right. And we may not know the answers. What I've been talking to my executive coach about is that I don't have to solve everything. Like I know I want to have this business. I know I want to raise this fund, how I raise a hundred million dollars. We don't need to solve for that now, but it's the intentionality of
2: claiming what you want to do. That's right. We could all look at the same piece of artwork and have a different idea or interpretation of what it is and what it means. That's the best part about being you is you have an idea and thoughts that someone else could see the same thing and go, oh, okay, that's wonderful. Even if someone quote unquote copies your idea, they wouldn't be able to replicate what it is that you're doing because you're you and they're them, right? And so we can occupy the same space and be just as unique as, just as individualized and unique as could be. That's oh the beautiful part about us. Uh,
1: That's the beauty of this. Okay. I love it. And oh. I love it too. I It's 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 so rewarding. And I think the way that you've been able to maneuver your career and manifest. So you we've, we're now military, we're now model. Yes.
0: And then
1: let's talk about going into, or I guess I should say transitioning from corporate into yeah. starting your first company and what oh that my looked gosh. like.
2: So, <laughs> right. So I have, you know, I have, my dad is an entrepreneur. So I've always had like this entrepreneurial spirit, right? I, when I was growing, I had no idea what I wanted to do when I grew up, but I knew that I would work in a, a, a nice building. I would travel into work and I would dress a certain way when I did it, whatever <laughs> it was. That was, my, that was my thoughts, right? As a young person. So I've always had this entrepreneurial spirit, but also there was a part of me that felt like i owed it right to the success of you know like my family and how i showed up and i had to have a certain kind of career and i made it somewhere if i hit corporate that was like always the thought process so i always had that corporate role even with my modeling people are like how come you didn't take this more seriously or use it as not a hobby and it's because i felt like i had to have my corporate role and so I have started companies, right? Like I, I need to do something. I have all this time and I feel like I'm not putting myself to use is how it always begins. Like my skill set and my talents and my passions and things I love and how do I share me with the world is essentially what it is that I would do. So my first the first company, the most recent one that I sold. It's actually a luxury linen rental company, and I love textures. It's high end fabrics. I like to show up uh, just as fabulous as I can be and curate beautiful events and all that jazz. And so I'm like, what better way to do it? When I thought about like my grandmother and her events that she was and she was real fancy. My my, bless her heart. She had you know fur coats and she kept her nails done and she was just real. I would, when I was a kid, I just would look at my grandmother like, oh my god. You know, and so she was just like everything. And so she was always real fancy and people would come to her home all dressed up for like holidays and stuff like that because she put out the fine linen and the china. And I'm like, how do I take that and, and offer it to the world? Because I use linens for like breakfast for my kids and teach my kids how to use napkins properly. And what does it mean if you're going to the restroom versus you're done eating and all these things, etiquette. And so I wanted to offer that to other people. So I created this luxury linen rental company where of course you can use it for your big events, but you could also use it for dinner with your family because it's Thanksgiving or a random birthday or something like that. And so that's how I got into it. And it was just completely a hobby. And when I got into it, I, w- I got picked up in all these places. I was in all these magazines and I was working with all these celebrities. And I'm like, I've been at this for like less than a year. How did this happen? And they would come to the store and sit for like hours just to be like cozy in this like linen space. Can I bring my laptop to work in here? Because baby, this is wow. amazing. And it was such a thing. But as I was like moving through it, as much as I loved it and all these e- beautiful events that I could take part in and working with some of the best designers out there, right? And just making a splash in this industry. Cause I it, it's not a very diverse industry when it comes to black ownership in terms yeah. of like the linen rental, the curators, who's doing the million dollar wedding, who's doing, uh, you know, where those numbers are. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like I wasn't in a position to do more like I really want to make an impact so I started like my normal thing like I don't think I'm using myself enough right and so once I kind of decided I was going to pivot and sell the the linen rental company I was like what am I going to do like what am I going to do next and because I had the space still where the business was sold and I had this retail space and they're like well what are you going to do with it I'm like I don't know and so one of my friends go you should open up a beauty supply store you know that the community, the owners of beauty supply stores, they make a killing, and I kind of was like, no, I would never, because they, I had just come from the linen rental space where it's this high end fabric, where it's a curated experience. I'm 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 white gloving service with my clients, and they feel special and they feel warm. Because, I mean, these linens are ex- expensive. They're expensive, high texture, yeah. right? So you want to make sure that the person that's using them and that they have a beautiful experience with you. And so I come from this to be like, I'm going to open up a beauty supply store. I was like, no, not me. Like,
1: excuse me, wrong person. Wrong <laughs> not one. me, that's
2: not my jam. But what I did do is I went, there's an area here in Chicago that has like your Sephora's and your Credo's and all the different stores, right? That... Like exist in this area, and so what I went over to the area and just started going to the different stores. And because I'm a recruiter, I always ask questions like, "So, what are your core values, or what's your ethos, or what do you feel most strongly about this brand?" You know, questions like that. Who asks questions like that in general conversation? I do. <laughs> so I'm they're, like, uh, they're like, they um, like, maybe I just start here, um, but. There was one that I went in and they're like women-owned brands and they're telling me about their ethos and just some of the clean beauty components of it. And I remember the manager, bless her heart, she goes, in this box, there was a box and she goes, in this box, all of the founders are black women. And I was like, oh, that's great. Are they in other places in the store on the shelves? And she's like, nope, they're all in this box. You know, just so yeah, like it. so proud. Like, yes, they're
1: just, all right here. He yes. did it. We
2: got them all boxed in just for you, you know? And I was kind of mm-hmm. like, okay, how dare you box us in? In my head, I'm thinking this, right, <laughs> as I leave and I'm thinking about this. And what I did do when I got home, I started researching, like, why aren't there, what is the representation like in the beauty industry? Why isn't there more of a presence for Black founders, Black women founders, considering Black people make up about 11% of that that annual spend, right? $60 billion plus that we spend. And so we are, we're doing about $6.6 billion annually on beauty products in the beauty industry. Why aren't we represented more when it comes to founders? Mm-hmm. And then once I started really peeling back the layers, it's not because we're not making products. We don't have amazing products. We're not doing great things with branding and social and all these components. It's just due to lack of funding and lack of access to capital. And without capital, you kind of get into the space of, you can't market, you can't be visible. It's it's expensive yes. to scale into bigger brick and mortar stores like your Sephora's of the world and Altus. And there are so many hurdles, right, to get there. And so I can only imagine as a as founders, I can imagine the, the feeling that, man, it's a big leap to get to my goal because I have a lack, limited access to capital. And so that's how the Black Beauty Collective was born with just this, how do I begin to take principles that I've deployed most of my career and and implement them into a beauty space where you're going. Let's diversify this space to create opportunities because realistically, bigger box stores are going are stronger because of the presence, right? Because we have yes. a shelf presence and because we're creating products. Because we're gonna just see it differently. We're, our experiences are different with with skincare and hair care and all the things. It's just different. So it makes the industry stronger if you have more representation when it comes to founders who are curating the products. And so how do I take the principles that I deployed in Meta or Ernst Young or Wayfair, companies I've worked for, and saying, hey, I'm looking at your department and it's largely white males. Your department isn't as strong as it could be because of a lack of diversity and experience. You may have this group that are missing a complete segment of the population. So your bottom line isn't what it could be. Right. How do you right. take that conversation and have it in a beauty industry to say, hey, corporations that exist, your shelf, you're you're missing an entire segment of people. And so you need to have founders and creators so that you have yep. that level of representation with product lines. Because if I go to some hotels, I can't use the shampoo because it'll tangle my hair or I can't use yeah. the skin wash that's here. You have products that your customer base can't use. So what can we yeah. do to solve, right? And so I'm using a lot of those those principles here. And so that's how I came up with the Black Beauty Collector to say, let's put the pieces together. You have an amazing mm-hmm. product line. Let's help you scale into retail, which is a little bit more accessible in comparison to some of the bigger box stores. And let's get you reach access to resources and create visibility. Because that's the big part. If, if I don't know you, if no one knows you exist, then it's like a loop point, right? Yes. And so it, I've, I've trained young recruiters on this, right? So you can work for a company, but if you're not raising your hand for the project, you're not visible to leadership, the promotion comes slow. Yeah, you'll get overlooked. So it's a similar concept in this industry in terms of How face forward are you? How active are you on socials? Where are you? Who are you networking with? What kind of events are you showing up to? How present are you as a business leader? And so let's get you into the faces of the people that you need to be interacting with. And so that's how it came to be. And so that's what it is that I do for the Black Beauty Collective.
0: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's.
1: Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may
0: vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
1: Leslie, I, like I said, we are definitely Sister Pernistas in this and understanding the Delta, the needs, the opportunity to, because there's so much to be said about black founders, like access to this black founders, like this black founders, like that. And yes, but now let's figure out how are we going to solve? And that's what you said, like creating something to solve a need to solve the Delta. And I think it's really interesting because the weaving of your background. Like whenever you first started talking about HR and diversifying teams, I was like, oh, this makes so much sense that we would now have the Black Beauty Collective As this space that is really mirrored in diversity. And even, you know, one of the things that you said, it's access to capital. You said it was the lack of funding and capital. And we know that less than 2% of women who start businesses make it to a million dollars. That's right. We understand those stats. And so you've made it. And I do want to, even when we think about the velvet collection, I think it's really fascinating because you build something in a space traditionally is not dominated by Black people, high-end luxury, flipping a, a rental model on its head with rentals, custom orders. And then you did, you breezed over the acquisition. And then I was like, and we have another company. But before there was Black Beauty Collective, you had to go through an acquisition to bridge the gap to get there. So what was that acquisition like? And then was that the funding that led to Black Beauty Collective to do the the more visionary passion work? Mm -hmm.
2: So the acquisition component of it, you know what? I thought I was really concerned about finding a buyer, right? Because that's the part. So I had to do sit down, financials, all that jazz, do an evaluation of the company, what I could could sell it for. That was like a, a process in itself. And what the benefits would be for a buyer, a potential buyer, and to be able to write sell the sale of the business. And so what ended up happening, and I went through a couple potential buyers having conversations about it, why this, why the acquisition of this business would support whatever it is that they were already doing. Because that's where that's kind of the baseline. That's where I started. I started in a space where, hey, you have a, a linen rental company already would you like to acquire linens? Because I had hundreds of linens already. It's different sizes, all that jazz, beautiful textures. But what who ended up being the buyer, and this is something that I tell entrepreneurs often, is start with people you already know. Start in your own immediate network because you be surprise what already exists there. And what ended up happening is I had an order come in from a client that I had worked with many times and she and i say hey i just want to give you a heads up i'm going to be sunsetting the velvet collection and they go oh my god you know and they kind of express like we love the company we love you we love what you're doing all that all that kind of sentiment but she goes in conversation i wish i could buy the company literally wow. that's how it started wow. people and so, who change your life yes, <laughs> yes. And, and i go well wait a minute we can talk about this let's let's talk more about it so we schedule time And long story short, this was my actual first customer with the Velvet Collection. Oh my God. The very first customer that I had. Absolutely. The very first person when I had just opened up the doors and they came in, it was herself and her family came in and they were doing a feast. They were putting on a feast for their friends and families and they wanted to make it a luxury experience for them. So they rented all this gorgeous linen, napkins, everything to go along with it. And that is who bought the company.
1: Oh my gosh. You see what I mean? And so that's why I always say
2: start with the people you already know, because you'd be really surprised at who has been eyeing it or whatever it is. Start with in your immediate space. And so sometimes the opportunities don't have to come three, four, five connections out. They may be right here, right there. Yeah. Oh my
1: gosh. And were you at a place where you wanted to sell because you knew you were ready to do something different Or because, you know, creating things, selling things like when I sold my company and I was like, oh, this was on my vision board. This is the right thing to do. And it ended up not being a great deal, but it was such the experience that's led me to how I do things in the future. So what was what was the trigger?
2: So I am such a I'm like a mover. Like I'm always like moving on to the next, on, always like refreshing and turning over. And it's because the way I'm like, uh, my brain is project oriented, project oriented. I'm always going, I know where the exit strategy is. I know where the, the, what's next. I'm like that. And I can see it as clear as day two years from now, five years from now. I know where the the pivots are. And so, and that's just the way I've been able to actualize my life. Like if I say, okay, this is what I would like to do. You can almost bet. If we're on the phone right now and I'm going, I'm thinking about doing this, know that in like a week you call me and you're like, oh, I already did it. (laughs) I'm like that. My brain works like that. That's like one of the the gifts. And so I use that instead of like getting down on myself because I'm project oriented and my interest isn't, I play into my gift because that's the way I see the world. Because, you know, someone else may see me and go, oh, well, you know, you're always changing or you're this, you know, and it and it may be frowned upon because there are people that can go, I'm going to do the same thing for 20 years. That's a gift mm-hmm. too. I don't have, that is not my testimony. That is not my gift. <laughs> I am like, I like newness. I like creating. I'm that person. So once I've created something and it's coasting, I'm like, okay, what else? Where else can I use me? You know, and so I see the world that way. So I was already thinking about Velvet Collection like, okay, you're going to build. And once it gets here, you're going to pivot. And what, where are you pivoting to is that was the differentiator. I didn't see the Black Beauty Collective coming, but I knew that I was going to pivot. And I wanted to pivot in a space where I felt like I was using my talents, my background and things that I'm passionate about to help other people. And so it's interesting. Like when I talked about going into the Velvet Collection, I mean, in about a year, the first year, I was probably in like, I had like eight, nine features in different magazines and I'm all over the place in a short period of time. And I'm like, how do you do that? Like, and it's my ability to network and talk to people and the way that I talk to people to bring them in, as opposed to being like cryptic with information, I'm like an information sharer, And so people, I develop relationships that way. And so opportunities come out of it because of it, right? And I'm interested in what other people have to say. And I'll remember- I will remember, if you tell me you got a cat named Fuzzy that had to go to the hospital, I'm like, how's Fuzzy? Six years later, how's Fuzzy? You know, so like, I am that person. I I am a networker. And so I was like, what if I could take this, right, this background? And I've done a lot of symposiums and conversations and talks, especially in corporate, about building your internal network. How do you play into your network to get the next opportunity? Things of that nature. How do I use this this thing that I'm so passionate about to help other black women founders scale their businesses. And so that's really, so that was the the thing that I didn't see coming this black beauty collective in terms of what it was. I just knew how I wanted to show up. Wow.
1: And show up and how you wanted to provide support and make people feel because yeah. that's the vibe. And, and it's so interesting. And I want to make sure I got this, the space that, the Velvet Collection was in, is that now the space of, oh my gosh, I thought you said that. I was like, I love it. And you know, yeah. I, I literally like, I love your newsletters and I signed up for the opening and I was like, oh my gosh, I, I was like waiting until the end so that I could go. And I, yes. I just, I love what you've built and the space and how you've curated it. And it's really interesting because- You could have kept it as the collective providing the access, all the information, and you said, no, I'm going to make change. I'm going to go into retail, something that you've now learned how to do, and I'm going to have a retail space. So talk about that because we have so many founders who are trying to figure out retail. Like, what is it? And it's this, this mystical thing, but then it's also right there and you can go in and you can touch it and everyone's there. It feels like, so what was that business model from a differentiation perspective? And then how are you grounding founders in the work in terms of understanding and then bringing them into the physical space?
2: So. A couple things. Cause right. That's a, that's a busy question, right? Leah, I know it's right busy. There.
1: It's very, <laughs> Leslie, weird. I was like, she's got it. She's moved on a few things. I'm going to oh, throw everything at her. Okay. So <laughs> let's see,
2: let's talk about the, the physical space in itself. So it's high, it's in high park. So if you don't know high park, that's the neighborhood that the Obamas lived in before they went into the white house. And so it's, Caps. It's the University of Chicago's there. So you have a diverse population. You have legacy families from Chicago, black families like the Obamas that live in this neighborhood. So it's very like mixed in terms of the audience that's there. So the, uh, the store just flat out worked. And I was like, okay. And so one of the things that I did recently that I got a lot of questions about is I did a quick refresh of the store and the way, and I wanted all the walls to be like an off white color, to just bring the energy of the space down. And so there's not enough thought that goes into the way we're curating our businesses because I wanted the products to be the focus, not the decor. I wanted the products to sit on this clean wall. And so the first thing you see when you walk in are the products, you automatically gravitate towards what catches your eye. And so I'm a, I'm a creative. When I was younger, I was really into art. And so like I was an artist, I would make all sorts of things, all sorts of mediums I've worked with. And so everything in this space, I wanted to feel like a canvas almost. So that's number one. And so when you think retail, and this isn't my background, you're 100% right. But what I did do is I, I knew that I needed to build a team that understood retail. And so that they could give me advice. One of the things I sell all founders is understand what you're really good at and understand the areas where you need help and live in that space. Be true to what you are good at. Do not go. I can just do it all myself because the things that you are good at will shine and the things that you are not great at will shine as well. So understand what you're good at. Horn in on it. Bring people in that can do the things that they enjoy, that they're good at that can help support your business. So I found an operations manager who, who grew up at Alta. I My person who runs my email marketing and econ, she has a retail background for many years, all the way up to being like store manager, district manager. She's done some amazing things. And then I found people that can just give me advice because I don't know everything. I don't know most of everything in this retail space. And so if you have questions about something you're not great at, and even if you don't know anybody, go to LinkedIn just to throw that out there. Go to LinkedIn yes. and do some research and find people who can do the things that you just have questions about and buy them lunch if you need to. It's yes. so <laughs> for information. So I, and that's something I always say, don't be scared to just put yourself out there. And just ask the questions because most times. Especially if you go, oh my God, I heard you was amazing. You start with that. Most people are melding your hand. Oh my God, you did. What do you need to know? (laughs) So that's that's detail. And so the way that I'm bringing entrepreneurs into this space, so a lot of our entrepreneurs, some of them are already scaled into retail. We have entrepreneurs that are already on shelves in Walmart and several shelves in different verticals. Um, And then we also have entrepreneurs that are hundred percent online. So they have no idea what to do with show space retail, right?
1: And so, yep.
2: And so we have a pretty robust strategy in terms of helping them scale into the retail, getting their just... Nuts and bolts, product of our website, products in store. Let's let's focus on those two things. And then from there, we do monthly meetings to talk about how the store is performing, where they can show up, because that's a big piece that I think when you have a product and you're whether you're making at home or working with a manufacturer and you're shipping out and then you're online and you're showing up on socials. There's another component when you're in retail and your presence that you have to have in terms of how you're driving sales, how you're pushing marketing, how you're showing up and interacting with the customers and having a presence in that market and in that space. And so we're showing entrepreneurs how to show up under that vertical as well, because that's something that's really important. Sometimes people just need to see you like see to see. You and meet you, and they want to shake your hand, and they want to talk about it, and they want to hear what you have to say, and they're why you're passionate about creating this, and what did you think about when you created this? And so, there's so much power in being able to have that kind of conversation. You'd be surprised the number of people that they'll become regular customers, they'll send other people, they'll buy for friends, they'll become almost a part of your your entrepreneurial journey and your family and that community. Yes, and so just getting the entrepreneurs to understand. That in this space, we're here. Black Beauty Collective drives customers into the store. We alley-oop you the ball. So you got the bar now. <laughs> what are you going to do with it? How are you going to show it for the customer? <laughs> so yes, so that's how we're bringing entrepreneurs in. So it's not a difficult thing. It just requires some effort. And then even I tell them kind of back to what I was saying, start with what you know when you're building so if I'm an AKA and I've been an AKA since college, right? And I'm not an AKA, might I add? But if I were and I had a product line, AKAs have initiatives where they shop black. So why not reach out to the president in the local area and say, "Hey, we want to host an event for you, featured sponsored by my company, and get the AKAs in." It's seven chapters. Why not get all seven of them in? Listen. <laughs> Like that's an easy win, right? Like, so just thinking about your business that way versus feeling like it always has to be an uphill fight, but you may be able to make an impact right here with what you already have.
1: Well, and I think that's so key. It's just like the educational step that is so, it's such an important make or break step that you're offering and that is more bespoke and that is so much aligned with what the founders need. Because even when you think about the big box retailers and you got, you mentioned Walmart, Walmart start, you got the Target Accelerator. And so Mm -hmm. those programs will get you so far, but then it's the thing about, did you think about the AKA chapter? Did you think about, you know, whatever it is to further expand. And I also think there's something to be said about using retail for what it's for, that's and right. there are definitely opportunities to sell, right? Like yep. that's the whole point. You're trying to make some money. And yep. then there's also this retail as a marketing play and as an awareness yep. play.
2: That's right. That's right. That's the true essence. Yeah. And so one of the, some of the founders that I've worked with, their strategy, right? Is to really build out that marketing play with the smaller retail booths boutique kind of fill spaces before they scale into the bigger box stores because of the marketing play that comes along with it. Yes, One of the things about the black consumer, because different textures and weights play different on our hair, a lot of us want to touch. We want to feel, we want to see how, what the texture is and what it smells like and all those things we want to test. So it's a great place. The, the more spaces that your customer base can test your product in so that they can better understand it. The batter It's a huge marketing play. I'm in a hundred percent agreement with that with you is how do you get in front of as many people as possible, shake hands, have them test your product, because that is how they will be- begin to identify with what it is that you're doing. Do you know how many people I meet? I meet random people when they find out what I do, they always go and they always reach back. You know, I used to buy Carol's daughter when she was still making it in her kitchen. Do you know how long ago that was? Like... <laughs> But, and what, how many iterations of Carol's daughter exist? but customers that followed that journey all the way till the end, remember when she was still bobbling and making it in her kitchen. But that is the kind of impact you want to have on your customer base and your target audience where they can go. I feel like I know her, you know, I mean, oh, I remember when she was, especially in this age of social media, like that's the move. And so if you can do a black beauty collective over in Chicago, pop up once a month. And shake hands and kiss babies and just be a presence. Be there. You you've 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 beat the masses because it's that's exponential. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just I love it and
1: I love the concept of it. I love us having a space.
2: Yes. Now,
1: alongside of the good that's happening, as we know, mm-hmm. we're also under attack for things that are designed for black founders, black people. Yeah. Have you had to experience, and I'll say with our Brain Trust Founder studio we've had to have several conversations because we are four Black founders, Beauty and Wellness. Have you experienced that? And how are you looking in terms of perhaps amending,
2: changing, or it's going to be what it's going to be? So I haven't experienced anything yet, but one of the things I was really conscious of, so when I was starting this and naming it, I was like, can we name this the Black Beauty Collective? Will it not fall under my own diversity ethos and the trainings that I've had all these years. Like, how does that feel, right? To just target this group. But one of the things that I decided to do with intentionality is to hyper-focus on the 51% or more black owned because that makes you eligible to get your women's own certification, your minority owned certification, the ownership percentage that the minority vote goes to in the company. So when I'm using language talking about this business, I say, we work with businesses that are 51% or more Black-owned. So now it's not quite censored only Black people, but who has the minority vote? I'm willing to work with businesses of all sorts, but only if the the African or the Black person in the company has the minority vote, because that minority vote could be the deterrent if a product is made with harsher chemicals or not right? Because this person has to say, and so that's where I focus my attention. You know, it's so
1: funny because that's how we look at the fund because for the Mm -hmm. fund, you know, our brain trust fund, we say you have to have at least one black identifying co-founder and it can't be a co-founder on paper with 1% of the company so that you can qualify for these things, like a true partner. And I love how, again, it's just like, it's the pieces, and even with your background, because that was one of the things I've I've been criticized for saying that I'm about inclusivity and economic equity and parity. But then I have a studio that's only for black founders. But then you know our fund enables you to still participate. Um, yeah. But I. I've been so bullish in terms of the thinking in terms of what was created in my image as a black founder and how I feel I can be of service, even though it's not about me, it's about the community of people that can be of service to each other. And so I think it's, you know, we're going to be having these conversations and to have things flipped back on us when we've been the ones that have been repressed. I think that's where it's, look, we're old enough that like things will hurt us, but we're not shocked it's yeah. more about wow that's
2: what we're doing after all of this the audacity <laughs> the and it is it is the audacity right it's unfortunate because there is such a need and to do away with some of the things the initiatives that have been built to support black people in this country it's unfortunate it's like we you only get a small percentage anyway, and the small percentage we want to cut that in half or reduce that significantly, so that it's open for others. And so it's, I think there is going to require us to continue to do our to work, right, yes. and to think outside of the box. And the, the 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 march didn't continue once we got all of our rights, but we still have to continue to, to work and show up and to make sure we use our voices and our presence to show that hey, this isn't okay. And we're still mm-hmm. wanting to make change. Yes. We need change because there's just we not enough change. of us. There's not enough representation yes. out there, and not enough activism on the behalf of making sure there is long-term, sustainable change. Yes, because that's that's, that's, that's it really is. it. Long-term, sustainable long-term change. Sustainable. It's change. like, oh, we won. Okay, we can sit back now. Not really. <laughs> you have to always be working and pushing the needle to make sure it is there for the following generations that upcoming entrepreneurs and founders have opportunities because without initiatives like yours and mine and Fearless Fund and all the countless others that are out there, it won't be enough. It's We need more people in this space.
1: And even as you and I have been talking, how do we collaborate to amplify, yeah. to support, and to bring it together? And you know, as you're talking about that, we've been having a lot of conversations about defining moments because- yeah. It is. It's the long-term sustainability play that we're all looking for. And there were these interesting, for everybody, defining moments along the way. And even when you did your one, two, three, <laughs> um, I was wondering, you know, so, so what would you say has been your defining moment really that's kind of led you to, this, to this, this platform of Black Beauty Collective?
2: Hmm. You know what? My defining moment came when I was really young. I was like really young, like teenager, really young. And so I didn't grow up in a traditional way. I didn't live with my parents. And so I've been working since I was 14 and I had to make a decision on who and what I was going to become. And just in general, I had to decide that as a young person and how I wanted my life to go. And you know how it is out here, right? A 14 year old, like in the world as a kid and where the avenues could take you. I decided a really long time ago that I wanted to have impact. I wanted to do amazing things and I was going to push until I got there. And everything else after that has been in alignment with just me pushing to do amazing things and have impact. And so that I didn't have a lot of resources growing up, I can show up as a resource to other people and use my knowledge and what I've done to help others. And my one ask, I have one ask to the people that I I show up for, is that is when it's your turn to show up for somebody else, you take the opportunity. And you dive into it like like you've never dove into anything else, and you help the next person that needs to help. That's always the ask I
1: love that and thinking about you know fourteen is such a nuanced age, and so to have that clarity to say this is what I'm going to do. And clearly um, you've been successful. And so as we wrap the show, last question, we, um, speaking of community, we're all about community giving back. So we always ask what's one brand founder initiative that we should be supporting.
2: Oh my gosh! I that know. is a She's question. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. Ah, uh, let's see. You're oh like, my gosh, all the babies, all the babies. I know, like, oh, so- um, come to me, like all of them. Like my brain is running down the list. I would say, like, spotlight on Bixby Beauty. So Bixby Beauty, uh, the CEO founder is Dita Maxi. She's doing amazing things. So her, it's a, it's a lip whip and it's vegan. She actually traveled to Ghana. She does a trip. She has an organization that she supports for all girls. She sent, I want to say at least four girls to college so far wow. in Ghana, right? I mean, talking about just the, the layers of work when you think black women entrepreneurs, it just is unparalleled. I'll say that to say the least, but she found this plant and she worked with the chemist that stains your lip. And she worked with a chemist to turn it into her lip whips. So it's a hundred percent vegan. It's a beautifully branded, beautifully designed. She's done amazing things with the company. She's a MUA for television. So she's done some great work. And so she is like, definitely one to have on your radar in terms of like next steps where she's going, just someone to just follow. She's a young, the, her Bixa beauty is a young brand and it's, and I can just see it as clear as day. And I'm like, oh, I'm excited for her. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. This is like one of my favorite parts of doing the show, like just learning about so many new brands and then supporting yeah. them. And even yes. the work that goes beyond the brand, you know, there's yeah. this notion of you're a brand. You can just be a brand. You don't have to care about what's happening in the world. You, you don't should. have to do anything other. You have to. You should. And you have yeah. to. Yeah. And so the ability to say, not only do I have this amazing product and lip whips, but yeah. also look at the people that i've you know helped yeah. have a better education so that they can come and create something.
2: That's so, right. That's 100% right Kendra.
1: That is what we are here for. I just Leslie, i just oh, you're so great. I can't wait to hug you up in person. This has been phenomenal. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the work that you're doing to support founders. And I'm so excited for us to come. I am doing one of my book stops. At the Black Beauty Collective, I'm telling you now, I'm not asking. I'm basically like, I'm coming to Hyde Park. Come on, um, let me know today so we can we can res- we can can roll out the carpet for you. Yes. I was like, we will be there. But thank you so much, Leslie. Appreciate you.
2: Yes. Thank you for having me.
1: And every week I share an influencer I'm checking out. And this week, thank you, Leslie. Make sure to check out Bixa Beauty, founded by Dita Massey. It's a luxury plant-based lip line. And as always, I love to leave you with one thing from today's guest. And that is, what will you ask for? Leslie talked about her defining moments and how just asking a question changed her whole trajectory. So I ask you, what will you ask for? And with that, follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode, and we love to hear from you. Leave a five-star rating and a review. Until next week.
0: Business of the Beat is hosted by Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, assistant producer Jenny Salk, executive producer Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, edited by Fish Mar Creative, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the Business of the Beat podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast. And on IG at Business of the Beat. Business of the Beat is a Mean Old line Media production.